Then the king said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Please pray with me. Dear Lord in heaven, as we do week by week, we ask you now to join us here this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this reading, this parable that Jesus tells about a wedding feast and a guy who is improperly dressed, this reading is the scene of one of my life's greatest shames. I can actually close my eyes and visualize the youth group room at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Yuma, Arizona. I'm, oh, 22, I think. And I can see the students sitting in a circle around me, and I can feel the pride welling up inside me as I get ready to terrify, on purpose, a group of high school kids with what I consider to be just a killer Bible teaching. Too many of us Christians, I said to them all those years ago, Think of Jesus as a player on our basketball team. You see, my illustration game was already on point. We're Christians. We know we need Jesus on our team, but that's not enough, is it? We still think of it as our team. We're the star. Jesus is maybe the guy sitting on the bench who gives us a high five when the other team calls timeout. He's sort of like the encourager, but that won't cut it. It's not enough to be on the same team as Jesus. You've got to give him the ball. I was very proud of this. You've got to give Jesus the ball. You've got to let him be in control. And so far, so good, right? This isn't the worst thing. Nothing to be embarrassed about yet. But, I said, with an evil twinkle in my eye, if you don't, or if you don't do it enough, or don't do it well enough, There are dire consequences. And to illustrate what I meant, I told the kids this story from Matthew 22, the one that we read this morning. A king throws a wedding banquet for his son. He sends out invitations, probably to the best and brightest, to all the people who would have thought they deserved one. But when he sends his servants out to pick up the people he's invited, they don't want to come. He tells the invited guests, that everything is ready. It's going to be a great party, but they make fun of it. Some of the guests even mistreat and kill the messengers. Talk about not wanting to go to a party. But the king decides he wants a full house at the wedding feast. So he sends his servants into the streets to bring in whoever they can find. Now, this is so far a great story for us. There is great good news here. More than just being a cautionary tale about people who had the opportunity to accept the message of Jesus and didn't, this is a story about that next group of people 
The ones who do take advantage of the opportunity when the king opens the invitation, we are specifically told that both good and bad people come to the wedding. Again, good news for us. This is the gospel. The king has a feast and he has made everything ready. Chris Bora, our own Jason's brother and a minister in our diocese, summed up the good news this way. You are invited to the king's banquet, and it's not a potluck. Everything is ready. Everything is done. The king says, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. You don't have to bring anything to this meal. It's almost unimaginably good news that the king just says, go out into the street and bring in everyone, good and bad, everyone. This is what the gospel is all about, right? Jesus didn't come for the good, fancy people who sleep well at night, make a lot of money and don't feel guilty about it, have success oozing out their pores, who should have expected to be invited to a wedding like this. The gospel is for the rest of us. The street people who live our lives in perpetual fear, who don't know how things are going to turn out, who wonder if we would recognize success if it came up and smacked us in the face. The gospel is for us, for sinners. And Jesus is saying that we're the ones who end up inside the wedding feast. Amen. Amen. Now, that's the gospel. That, on account of Jesus Christ, the wedding feast is thrown open to those who do not deserve it. Makes for a good sermon, too, if I do say so myself. Pretty short as well. Uh, But unfortunately, the reading doesn't end here. The next thing that Jesus says is a little harder to understand. Jesus continues. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is where I was ready to give it to that youth group. This, I told them, is what the Christian life is all about. See, the gospel is for the people who aren't invited to the party. The good news is indeed for the undeserving. The king's servants do go out into the street and invite everyone to come in just the way they are. And that's what Jesus does for us. He meets us where we are. But once you get inside the party... You've got to change your clothes. When you get to the party, the gospel invitation, the good news, is in the past, right? Now, you've got some responsibility, some work to do. When you become a Christian, you can't stay the person you were before. You have to change into a wedding robe, a robe worthy of the great invitation you've been given. And if you don't? Bound, hand and foot, outer darkness, 
weeping, gnashing of teeth. So you feel my shame, right? It's my shame because I was trying to make these kids feel afraid. That they might not be doing well enough, changing enough, improving enough. I was trying to make them feel that they needed to do more, to work harder. I wasn't trying to give them good news. I was trying to scare them. But to do so, do you see what I did? I twisted the story just a little bit. I just neatly, with one turn of phrase, turned the wearing of a wedding robe into a human accomplishment. Remember my basketball analogy. It's not good enough to be on Jesus' team. You've got to give him the ball. You're in control in this story. It's up to you. The king invites dirty, downtrodden people into his house, and I implied that when he comes into the room and sees them like that, he's shocked. He says, wait a minute. Why didn't you change? Throw that guy out. So putting on the wedding robe became, in my retelling of the story, something that the guest of the king had to do to stay inside the party. There's a difference, I told that youth group, between getting in and staying in. It's sort of like the University of Arizona in that way. (laughs) I'll tell you my own parable featuring the old alma mater. Truly, I tell you, the kingdom of heaven is like the University of Arizona. It is easy to get in. Really easy. But if you don't keep up a good grade point average, they'll kick you right out. And it seems like it makes sense. And it ports really easily into our human assumptions about what the kingdom of God must be like. But that's not what's happening here. This is not a story about getting in and staying in. This is actually two stories about getting in. Let me explain what I mean. First of all, the king doesn't say, why haven't you changed? He says, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? He doesn't wonder why the guy hasn't done something. He wonders where his robe is. He wonders how he got in. And notice the man is speechless. He doesn't have an answer. We can imagine if we want to get into the weeds of the story, that if the man had answered the king's question, how did you get in here without a wedding robe, by saying anything, even, I don't know, I'm confused, I'm scared. Can I please have a wedding robe? If he had said anything, maybe everything would have turned out differently. But he doesn't. He's speechless. And the robe means everything. When Jesus' listeners heard the word robe, it would have brought up instant images for them. When we hear about robes, we most likely think of bathrobes, right? But in first century Jerusalem, robes were real status symbols. Remember when Joseph's father wants to give him a really nice present? He gives him a robe of many colors. One of the important garments for a priest to wear was a robe. In fact, all these thousands of years later, I'm still wearing one this morning. 
When the prophet Samuel's parents make the annual sacrifice, they make Samuel a special robe to wear for the occasion. And as you can start to quickly see, robes carry much more significance in the Bible than they do today. Today, robes go with slippers. Then, robes went with feasting, yes, weddings, yes, but also with sacrifice, especially with sacrifice. Samuel wears his robe when the animal is slaughtered in the temple in annual sacrifice to the Lord. Priests wore their robes when they made their sacrifices on behalf of the people. Even Joseph's robe of many colors ends up drenched in blood as his brothers pretend that he's been murdered. This imagery of robes and sacrifices and blood is most clearly stated in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, where John writes this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. This passage is describing the coming of King Jesus Christ. His name is Word of God. His armies are dressed in fine linen, white and clean, but his robe has been dipped in blood. And of course, as we know from the other side of the cross and resurrection, this blood is his own. The wedding robe in the parable that Jesus tells is in fact the blood of Christ. It's very easy to get caught up in the narrative of the parable. What's happening in the story and wonder about this person who's not wearing the wedding robe. How was he supposed to get one? Maybe he's got one at home, but the servants just collected people out of the street and brought them right into the party. Maybe the king has robes on offer. There's some ancient testimony that this was the tradition in some places. No one's really sure if this was the tradition where Jesus was at this time. But hey, maybe the king didn't have one in this guy's size. But we can't read parables like that. Most parables, with a couple of exceptions, which Jesus actually takes the time to explain, most parables aren't meant to be fully formed stories with character arcs and detailed explanations, with every detail in the story corresponding to some detail in the real world. Most parables are simple stories meant to illustrate a point. And what's important is the point, not the details of the story. And this parable has two points. One, everyone is welcome to the party. 
good and bad. And two, to be at this party, you need to be wearing a wedding robe. Or to put it in translated terms, anyone can be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, but the only way in is to be covered by the blood of Christ. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul says that for all of you who were reborn into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Remember, this is the Paul who, as a Christian, wrote Romans 7. I do not do the things I want to do and the things I hate I keep on doing. And who calls himself the chief of sinners. This Paul says that we have clothed ourselves in the blood of Christ. So it is the blood of Christ alone that affords us entrance into the wedding feast. That is the kingdom of heaven. This is why though we hope and pray and work for the entire world, we are not universalists. It's not just literally anyone off the streets. It's literally anyone off the streets who is clothed in the blood of Christ. Now, there's one final phrase that I want to spend just a moment talking about this morning. It seems like a scary phrase, but I want to suggest that it's actually for us a hopeful one. Jesus ends the parable with this statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. And this seems very hard. What if we're not one of the chosen? What if we feel called but aren't we're here at church this morning. We've been called. We've felt some kind of call, but are we chosen? How can we know? Did we get in here without a robe? Are we that guy? Do we end up with the weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, I have good news for you this morning. This calling is for you. Jesus has chosen you. Jesus' blood is sufficient for you. You, like me, were one of the ones pulled into the party off the street when the fancy guests made fun of it. Thankfully, we have heard the announcement. We are hearing it even now that it is Jesus Christ and always has been who gets us in. Hear me now. You are not in by your own merit. You are welcome at the feast of Almighty God on account of his son. And if you're hearing that for the first time right now, rejoice with us. Don't be speechless. Acknowledge your Savior whose blood is sufficient to cover your sins. Say the creed with us in a moment. Affirm your faith. When the king comes into the room of the wedding feast and he looks at us, when he looks at you, he sees that you are wearing the robe of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of the Savior. Praise God. The person who came in off the street, invited undeservedly and at the last second, You 
has put on the finest wedding robe. And this robe, Christ's blood shed for you and for me, is enough. It always has been and always will be. Amen.